Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Joshua, chapter 5, verse 9 to 12. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. And so this place is called Gilgal to this day. When the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jordan. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the part of, of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. This is the word of the Lord. The reading today is from Luke 15 to 1, verses 11 to 32. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But when he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his hands around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. 
for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his his eldest son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Well, on feeling this and sounding to this, he, he, he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and begged, began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet, you have never given me even a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I will be reading Swedenborg, Divine Province, section 78. Whatever we have done from our freedom in accord with our thinking because a permanent part of us, this is because our sense of who we are and our freedom are integral to each other. Our sense of who we are is part of our life and whatever we do from our life, we do freely. Then again, our sense of who we are includes everything that comes from our love because our love is our life. And whatever we do because of our life's love, we do freely. We act freely and in keeping with our thought because we do think about whatever arises from our life or our love. We validate it in our thought and once it is validated, we do it freely and, and in keeping with our thought. This is because everything we do, we do from our volition by means of our discernment and freedom is a matter of volition and thought a matter of discernment. Becoming part of us means entering our life and becoming a matter of life and therefore becoming part of our sense of who we are. Everything good that we do freely is keeping with reason and is incorporated into us as though it were ours because it seems to us that it is ours when we think and intend and speak and act. Still, the goodness is not ours, 
but the Lord within us. This is the end of the reading. Just in case you missed it in the Swedenborg reading, this is one of the scariest readings I think I have heard in a while. How many people were scared? Probably not many. Maybe even half the room didn't understand what Swedenborg was talking about. He's saying that what you do means something. In our modern day life, we care about the paycheck, we care about the end results, we care about whether or not we feel we got reward. And he's saying that's not what it's about. What you do means something and is inscribed on your heart forever. That's kind of scary. We're in Lent right now, so we spend some time looking at scary readings. Um, <laughs> we have a mixture of readings today, actually, and neither one of these readings are actually scary. These are both pretty happy readings. right? These are readings about a group of people who've been wandering in the desert and eating what they found on the ground that God provided. I don't, I don't remember anywhere in there a statement that manna was tasty. We don't know. They certainly never have a manna feast, but they do have feasts of the fields and the crops that they grow, right? If you try and save the manna, it went away. We have a story, the prodigal son, the return home. The story that talks to us oftentimes about forgiveness. I don't know about you, but this story is, is a difficult story for me. Not because I don't like forgiveness, but because I, I, read a, I read it and I, I pay attention to oftentimes the way the story is used in our, in our culture of the prodigal son returns home and everything's fine. But that's not actually in the story. I don't know if anyone ever realizes that. The prodigal son returns. The brother has a conniption and says, well, how, how, how can you do this? And that's, hey, wait, everything's yours. When he says to him, everything is yours, the prodigal son returning isn't getting anything new. A party's happening but he has a life of being a servant to his father ahead of him. That statement of his son returning and saying, can I be a servant to you? That's actually the future that's happening here. We don't see a sign that this party is going to continue beyond this one night. I'm not saying dad's going to abuse him. I think he has a realization that even, yes, his father's servants are living a better life than he is currently living, and he's okay with it. In the end, everybody's happy with it. The people who were walking across the desert to a land of, of milk and honey, their deal kind of changed too. I don't know if you really... To eat, they just had to bend over and pick it up. They just gathered it from the fields. They are now getting to their home where they are forced to till to tend the crops, to harvest, and to do all of that work. This story, while yes, on one side, it's an incredibly wonderful story filled with this transformation into a better life, 
that better life comes with a cost. It comes with a certain level of responsibility. So when I look at the prodigal son story, I think about it being a story of love, certainly a story about a love of a father seeing his long-lost son who he thought was dead return. It's a story about consequences. The son demanded his share of his inheritance. He lost it all. He was willing to eat with the pig. Now, I don't know how many people picked up on that. He was, will- he was sent out to feed the pigs. And he said he would be okay with what the pigs were eating. How many of you know kosher laws? <laughs> kosher laws, um, this is not a good statement. One of the reasons why the pigs are animals that you're not supposed to eat in kosher laws is because of what they eat. They're animals that exist in the mud, in the ground, and in the dirt. What he is saying is, he realizes that his own personal life choices led him to a place where he would eat even the thing that made him unclean, that removed him from God. That is a statement of pretty significant despair. I don't know how many people, when they hear that passage, think about the animal in that way. The pig. This story is a story about a person who became so consumed with himself A person whose love was directed solely toward himself that he didn't care about whether or not he was a good person, a clean person. But his recognition of going back to his father, he went back to it and realized that there were consequences. He had to change his life if he were going to not live the life he was living. Yes, it's a story about forgiveness, but I want to... What if it's not a story 100% about the dad's forgiveness of the son, but in some degree of the son's realization of his own life and his ability to forgive himself? We always focus on the dad, which is good. The dad symbolizes God, we know that, and God always loves us. But I'm talking about what about the person who has led a life that has led them into a place where they had no problem eating the food of the pigs? What about that realization and transformation within us when we realize that what we are doing is not loving? What does it mean for us to be willing to become a loving person? What does it mean, and I can't help but think of our next door neighbor. He's dead now, but he said, what is it, ask not what you can do for your, or ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. For those who don't know, Kennedy lived next door, so. The entire Bible, everything, everything is about relationships in the Bible. This is one of the things that we don't always We're not always aware of, but everything's about a relationship. The whole relationship between 
the people of Israel and God. It's a covenant. It's, it's a deal about two people trying to be closer together. The kosher laws are about people trying to be closer together. The coming of Christ is about people trying to be closer together. This story is about a relationship. And I would argue that there is actually a relationship that is oftentimes overlooked. And that is a relationship between you and yourself. Oftentimes, we don't pay attention to the why we live. We just pay attention to the what that we're hoping is going to come. Now, I, God is all-powerful, right? By definition, God is all-powerful. The divine could have had the people of Israel walk from Egypt and put them into the Garden of Eden, right? If God is all-powerful, God could have taken people into a place where in the end, they didn't need to till the ground. But there's a reason God doesn't do that. There is a reason why they went from a situation of having to pick up food off the ground to having to work until the soil. There is a reason why the get-rich-quick scheme, and that's what I like to think of the prodigal son as, the get-rich-quick scheme, right? He's like, you know what? I'm in my 20s. I can just take all this money that I can get now, and I can run with it, and I bet you I can do better than my dad can do. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to, I'm going to live at large, and I'm going, to get, I'm going to get rich until all of a sudden that doesn't happen. He ignored the relationship. He ignored his relationship with himself. He actually, when, I love the way this translation put it. What's the word they used? Dissolute living. It makes it sound so polite almost. Dissolute living. When he made the choice to go into dissolute living, he was willing to say, I don't care about who I am one year from now. I don't care about how much I'm loving myself even a week from now. All I care about right now is whether or not I'm having a party. There is a reason why we have to till the ground. There is a reason why we have to work. There is a reason why he's willing to become a servant and go home. It's because what we do matters. Why we do it matters. And if it didn't matter, if really life in the end was just about whether or not we got the thing we wanted to get, if life was really about the paycheck, this, this would be kind of a cruel life. It would be a horrible, nasty life. The problem is most of us are living thinking that what we do now doesn't impact what happens to us in a week. And I'm probably stepping out of my normal character and being a little bit accusatory in this moment. The reality is most of the people in the United States want what they want, when they want it, and they don't care about the consequences of it. 
They are willing. I don't know anyone. Worcester recently revealed that with the significant increase in pot-related hospitalizations and poisonous uh, illnesses of children, because parents are going out and buying their their pot gummy bears and their pot brownies, and the kids are eating them and coming close to dying. Again, we don't think about how our actions affect us a week from now. We tend to be so fixated on wanting our inheritance and wanting the dissolute life. But there's another story. There is the story of the other brother, who I, I think he has a good argument. He worked. He listened. Why didn't he get the party? We refuse to acknowledge that the gifts that come with our work, the gifts that are the long-term gifts, are, are worth more. They last longer. They have more significance. We are just so worried about whether or not we can get our inheritance now. We make the choice of the prodigal son. I, I know it happens to me from time to time. And again, it can be insignificant. It can be anything from me knowing I shouldn't buy a candy bar, right? Maybe I'm diabetic, but boy, that candy bar is sure good. Maybe it's the fact I need to go, to go up and uh, get up in the morning and go to work, but I choose to stay up all night and party so I don't have the ability to do it. We what? We want what we want when we want it, and we fail more often than not to put in the work, the hard work. We want the magic elixir that takes away our sadness and pain. This is us walking around and picking up these little bits of manna, right? We're not, we're not doing the work that eventually leads to the feast. We're wandering in a desert. This is the prodigal son taking his inheritance and running to a dissolute living. When do we work the ground? When do we realize that being responsible, making the choices about delaying our gratifications, when do we, when do we realize that spending the money to go see a movie, which is no, now like 50 bucks to go see a movie. <laughs> that in four hours, most likely that will be relatively insignificant. Unless we approach it with a right understanding of why we're doing it. I am not saying we shouldn't have pleasure. I am not saying that we shouldn't have fun. But you are what you love. And if what you're loving... Okay, my favorite example of this is the movie Independent. I loved movies, by the way. I still do. I used to be at the movies more than I was at home, I think. But I went to see the movie Independence Day. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it. It was an action movie. Probably 1994, 95, somewhere in that area. Aliens come to the Earth, and the entire Earth declares Independence Day by... Huge, every significant political, historical building gets destroyed with a really big explosion. Every 
big action star gets a five-minute scene somewhere in the movie, right? It, it is big budget, and while I was watching, I'm like, this is a great movie. And every minute that followed that, I'm like, what was that movie about? Because when my brain stops seeing all the neat moving pictures, the movie meant nothing. Now you can go to another movie, a movie that actually, if you go into it, asks questions about what does it mean to be a loving and good person, and you can go and you can talk about that movie with your friends, and that movie can actually have lasting impact in your life. So much of our life is spent in the state of wanting the pleasure instead of tilling the ground. It doesn't have to be about movies. It can be about going to work. There are people that go to work just because they want to go out with the paycheck in the afternoon. Then there are people who go to work because they actually love what they do. There are people who find joy and happiness in what they do. There are people who go to church because they like it. Right? There are. Believe it or not. And there are people who don't. There are people who go to restaurants because they are actively living the life that they want to live. And they're not criticizing every aspect of the restaurant experience. I don't know if you've ever met people like that. But I, there's a person I went to a restaurant once with. And every place we were sat, we had to get moved. Because they couldn't figure out where they wanted to sit in the restaurant because every place was wrong had a bad view of this too close to the bathroom too close to this we are what we love and what we do the problem with this is that everything you do everything you do has significance on your soul do you see why I said that, that was a scary reading everything you do so here's my question. When you do, when you live your life, what are you inscribing on your hearts? Are you willing to till the ground and make the choice that's for the you of one week from now versus the you of today? Until you are willing to make that choice, you will be eating what the pigs eat. And you will not have the feast that will come from the harvest. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.